Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm just being honest, man. I'm sick of losing. Sick. It's it's point blank, period. I'm sick of losing. It pisses me off every time. It is what it is, man. I don't... This is just not... I'm not a loser. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, I am joined by the host of... All the 19 shows on the Play Like a Jet feed, Mr. Scott Mason, former co-host of this podcast as well. We wanted to get him on to talk some of the head coach chatter, specifically around Mike McCarthy, and also a few other thoughts on the New York Jets as they head into the final two weeks of this season, including the state of their offense and how to potentially fix it. Scott, thank you for joining us. Joe, if I could correct you, it's actually 26 podcasts, so you're off by a, a legitimate touchdown there. It's just, it's very hard to keep track. And Scott and I will actually have uh, some exciting news about both of our podcasts. Coming next week, we'll probably roll out more of, a, more of an announcement about it. But just good news in expanding our overall distribution and our, our family of podcasts. So uh, stay tuned for that. But today, we're going to cut right to the chase. So let's off the top. We'll do, let's do a couple minutes wrapping up Jets Texans. Then we're going to talk Mike McCarthy and a couple other head coach candidates. And then we'll talk latest news around the team, specifically Brandon Shell's injury and concerns about fixing so much on the offense at once in one offseason. So starting with the Texans game, you know, this they lost, and I have to kind of keep reminding myself that they lost because it felt like they won the game with how well that Darnold played, particularly when you look at who he was surrounded by and that Losing the game was actually probably more beneficial for them in the long haul. So with a supporting cast of Jermaine Curse, 62 snaps. Jordan Leggett, Eric Tomlinson, 25 snaps. Trenton Cannon and Elijah McGuire splitting the reps at running back. And Robbie Anderson functioning at, as the lead receiver, where he played well uh, outside of a couple of plays. Darnold had probably his best game of the season against a really good defense, probably one of the five to eight best defenses in the NFL against a team who's going to win 11 or 12 games and potentially get a bye week in the AFC. Uh, And I think what was most impressive is that, you know, when you see quarterbacks compile these stats, a lot of it comes from scheme, right? You're throwing quick screens and guys are making a man miss and turning a two yard pass into a 14 yard gain or, or even bigger than that. Darwin was improvising and making something out of nothing over and over again, breaking the pocket, making throws on the run. And this is really where it seems to be he's at his best and sort of this organized chaos of a scramble drill. He made some good traditional throws into tight windows, but watching him make plays and elevate his supporting cast 
was about as exciting as it's gotten for the Jets this year since maybe, you know, week one when he turned it around and played really well against Detroit. But you saw why it was so silly uh, to prematurely write off him as a player and write off his rookie year, which a lot of people have turned very sour on him very fast. What were were your main thoughts watching Darnold against Houston, Scott? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that with him being better under chaotic conditions because it kind of has that Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson-type feel to it when you watch him sometimes. And in fact, when Dan Arlovsky was on the Getting to Know the Quarterback series that we did, he had mentioned that if (laughs) Tony Romo and Ben Roethlisberger had a baby, it would be Sam Darnold, and you saw a lot of that. Those throws on the run, there was one that he threw. was a perfect ball placement over two defenders' heads to Herndon. That was a beautiful pass. There were a couple to Anderson. The one that sticks out to me, and the one that people don't talk about, but it's interesting, there was a double coverage. I believe it was on Herndon, but I'm not 100% sure. It was down by the goal line. And Donald threw this pass. And, yeah, you could say it was ill-advised because it was in a double coverage. But he threw it right in between the two defenders. Uh, Herndon dropped it. But it was still just a remarkable throw. And I just talked to Joe Blewett about this in uh, the new episode of POJ Film Room is up now on our YouTube channel. And I'll turn on the Jets TV. And also we did a podcast, kind of, you know, the X and O quick hits. And we were saying about how it was just so impressive, Joe, like you said, he just on the run making these throws, in the pocket making these throws, just all over the place. There was nothing he couldn't do. And you saw really why everybody thought he was such an amazing prospect coming out of USC and why there were people who said, oh, I don't know about this guy. He didn't have as good of a junior year, and maybe Rosen's better, maybe Mayfield's better. And look, who knows? Time will tell whether or not those two end up being better than him. But boy, oh boy, could he do things that very few quarterbacks in the NFL can do. Some of those throws, I was saying on the run, you could probably count on one hand how many other quarterbacks in the NFL or at any level could make those throws. I think Russell Wilson, maybe Roethlisberger, Pat Mahomes, uh, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers, that's about it, really. And it was just a remarkable display. And again, Joe, like you said, even though they lost, it really felt like they won. And if you think about it, in the technical sense, they lost, but they really did win because what most fans at this point have acknowledged is the season's over, they're out of the playoff hunt, draft position does matter as much as people want to pretend it doesn't. So what you want is for the young players, especially Darnold, to play well and if the team loses, hey, you might not necessarily be rooting for it, but you understand that, that it's an outcome that can benefit the team. So in a lot of ways, everything kind of worked itself out. The Jets moved up two spots in the draft order, back up to number three. Darnold played great. You saw some nice plays from a lot of the players all over the field, including Robbie Anderson, who's starting to really develop a chemistry with Darnold. So I think overall, even though the Texans won, they were a much better team to begin with both on paper and in reality, and so you expected them to win. You just wanted the Jets to play well, and specifically the key players that are going to be here for the long haul. You got that. So if you're a Jets fan, I don't see how you could be upset. In fact, I think you should be very, very encouraged. Let's shift the discussion to who may be coaching Sam Darnold next year. As Now, there's a lot of time for things to change, but as it stands right now, I think if you were putting gambling odds on who was the most likely person to be the Jets' next head coach, I think you'd have to put Mike McCarthy at the top of the list. I say that because there's been rumblings about him, the Jets reaching out and contacting him shortly after he's been fired. 
the Jets beat is in lockstep in advocating for him to be fired, uh, along with keeping McCagnan. They're all unanimously on board with the McCagnan-McCarthy duo. I think the Jets organization, uh, thinking about it from a business and an optics and a PR standpoint, I could see their logic in making the hire. The, The media will like it. It will be praised as a guy who's loved in league circles. He's won a Super Bowl. They could say that he's done work with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's a previous head coach. It's not a first-time head coach. And it's an easier one to sell through. Now, me personally, I'm not all excited about Mike McCarthy as a head coaching candidate. And I want to explain why. The main reason why is that I, I keep seeing things about he won a Super Bowl you know, nine years ago. He did this eight years ago. He did that six years ago. I am not as interested in what he did five years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I'm more interested in what he's done over the recent couple of years and how he projects to do going forward. The Packers have not looked like a team who has evolved with the rest of the NFL. They did not run an up-tempo, wide-open, creative offense like you see New Orleans run with a coach who's been there for a while and a quarterback who's been there for a while. They've been pretty bad the past two years. So that concerns me with McCarthy. Are Is he up-to-date with where the NFL is going and are his best years behind him? I also don't love how he's gone about building his staff. And when you look at what that coaching tree is, you have Ben McAdoo, you have Joe Philbin, and he recently hired Mike Pettin to be his defensive coordinator. Not really inspiring names across the board, and it is not crazy to think that we could see Ben McAdoo be Sam Darnold's quarterback coach if McCarthy was hired. So when I look at the supporting coaches he hired, when I look at the work in recent years and how it projects going forward, that's where my concerns are. Look, is he an upgrade over Bowles? Absolutely. Can you make a fair argument that he'll provide stability and knows how to be a head coach? Yeah. I don't think it's the most ridiculous suggestion I've heard. Certainly not more ridiculous than Mike Shanahan or some of the other names that have been thrown around. I just see it has sort of a, I don't know, a C plus higher, a bit, I don't want to call him a retreat, that's a little harsh, but you're not doing anything sort of forward-thinking. You're sort of running it back with a guy who was recently fired in the middle of the year, and everyone pretty unanimously agreed that that was the right thing to do. And I just think now you're putting him with a GM who hasn't won anything in you know four years. They're going to be on different timelines. Why is McCarthy, in his mind, he's won a Super Bowl, he's worked with Aaron Rodgers, why is he listening to Mike McCagnin or working with Mike McCagnin when he hasn't won anything in the NFL? So you may have potential conflict there, I I don't know. I just I can't get too excited about it, but I feel like he's going to be the first guy the Jets interview. What do you think, Scott? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, I think you're probably right about him being the first guy the Jets interview. And I'm not against the Jets interviewing him, just to be clear. He was a head coach for 13 years. He did go to the playoffs a whole bunch of times. He did win a Super Bowl. All of that. And like you said... 
he's got that air of respectability so that if he comes in here, he's a name that the media will like and he's respected in league circles and you can make the case about Aaron Rodgers and all the other stuff. My big problem with McCarthy is that I just, I really don't think he's that good of a coach, to be honest with you, Joe, because again, you know, I have a friend, he's a huge Packers fan and I watch quite a bit of Packers football. And the problem for me with him is it's a lot of the same mistakes over and over and over again that have a lot of been covered up by the fact that he's had very talented rosters and obviously one of the great quarterbacks of all time in his prime. The year that they won the Super Bowl, everybody lauds him for that, but let's be real. Go back and look at that Packers roster and the fact that Aaron Rodgers is at the height of its powers. They should have won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, again, I think with coaches, a lot of times people put so much stock in the win-loss record and that kind of stuff. You really have to look at the roster that a coach has and then say to yourself, okay, is he maximizing the talent on this roster? Is he getting the most out of the team? Are the results at least as good as they should be? Are they better than they should be? And and I'll acknowledge that there are very few coaches, Bill Belichick is a, a notable exception, where I feel like having that guy is worth ex- extra wins each year. There's very few of those. Most coaches are somewhere in the middle. They coach right around to the talent that they have, and that's the end of it. There's a few notable exceptions on one end of the spectrum or the other. For instance, Belichick on one end and then Hugh Jackson on the other, right? Coaches that are so bad that they cost their team wins. But I think with McCarthy, there's just no reason to get excited. A lot of terrible in-game decisions, terrible clock management. In fact, there's a, a guy that follows me on Twitter. I think he follows you, Joe. And for anybody who's interested, when you hear this podcast, tweet at me and I'll send you the tweet. But he sent out a whole list of terrible in-game decisions that McCarthy made this year. And this is not unique to this season. He's done it a lot. So I think that a lot of the success or you know the winning records, I would say, is really in a lot of ways, in spite of McCarthy, and I don't think he had a whole lot to do with it. I had people telling me, oh, doesn't he get a lot of credit for developing Rodgers? I guess to some extent, but really, the guy is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Are we really saying that if he was with, say, Marvin Lewis, he wasn't going to be awesome? And to me, that's a lot of ways what Mike McCarthy is. He's a guy that was a very pedestrian coach who was blessed with a ton of talent and a generational quarterback. And if he had switched roles with Marvin Lewis, I'm not so sure things turn out differently. So that's really where I'm sitting with the McCarthy thing. I don't think he's a disaster like Bowles or, or Hugh Jackson, certainly. But I, I just I don't see that he's anything worth getting excited about. And I also think that the Jets could do a lot better because, like I said, you know, you make those same in-game mistakes and stupid clock management errors and dumb challenges and on and on when you're with the Packers and you have Aaron Rodgers to bail you out. That's one thing you do it when you have a a Jets roster that presumably is not going to be anything super great next year. Certainly isn't right now. Now you've got a big problem. And I just, I don't know that that's the direction that the Jets should go. And I'm, I'm willing to have him come in for an interview. You know, if, if I was the Jets, I would certainly talk to him. And I'm willing to listen to people that'll tell me, oh, you know, you need to hire a coach who has prior head coaching experience. You don't want to hire a newbie. But I just don't think McCarthy is the right guy for this for all the reasons I said and for some of the ones you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, outside of McCarthy, as it stands now, 
who else is this team really interviewing, right? Everybody was talking about DeFilippo for a while. He's obviously not going to be a guy at this point. I can't see LaFleur being a guy. I don't know why Zach Taylor is getting consideration looking at Jared Goss' regression in recent weeks. Uh, Lincoln Riley's probably not coming here. Uh, I've talked about Dave Tube a lot, but I haven't heard anything linking the Jets to him. Uh, I don't think they're going to hire defense, so that takes out Vic Fangio or Ron Rivera if the Panthers move on from him. John Harbaugh seems like a pipe dream. They do, the Ravens do let him go. I do hope the Jets are in the mix for him, and I like him better than McCarthy. Beyond that, you know, maybe you go get a surprise name at the college level, but I don't know who's leading that search for the Jets that knows where to look at the college level for that guy. Maybe if the Vikings finish really strong, they look at Stefanski and take a, a big swing on something like that. But where, if let's say McCarthy doesn't end up coming here, uh, he goes somewhere else, doesn't work out. Who is the next? Who's another name that we're going to see that might realistically take this job? Yeah, that's the tricky part, Joe, because I think, obviously, if Harbaugh becomes available, it's funny because we've been listening to people say for over a year, you've got to hire an offensive guru, you've got to hire an offensive guru, and then everybody wants John Harbaugh, who is not an offensive guru. I think the thing with Harbaugh is, uh, my friend Chris Walker and I were talking about this recently, and we had a bunch of thoughts that I'm going to get into in a second. One of them was that you, you either have to hire an innovative mind or a CEO type, like the guy who knows how to manage the staff, the guy who knows how to game plan properly, who's respected by the team, the whole bit. I think Harbaugh fits that bill. I don't think he's a special coach by any means. I don't put him on the level of a Belichick or somebody like that, but he's a guy that's clearly a competent coach. You don't hear a lot about constant mistakes or poor in-game management and that kind of stuff. And really, that's the kind of guy that you could certainly use with the Jets, even if he's not one of those offensive gurus. He's shown that he can do the job, and really, that's all you should be looking for at this point. I think short of somebody like that, I mean, listen, there's always the chance that somebody uh, shakes through that you don't expect. There's been rumblings about Tomlin. I don't expect that to happen, but if it does, certainly you would talk to him. I actually like the idea of Jay Gruden if he gets – release from the Redskins. You can say what you want to about him, but I can tell you that is the most dysfunctional organization in all of sports. They have the two biggest boneheads in sports making the decisions at the top, Bruce Allen, the general manager, and then also Daniel Snyder, the worst owner in professional sports. So he's actually done reasonably well given the constraints he's had. And look at the work he's done with quarterbacks. He did really well with Andy Dalton in Cincinnati, he's done. He did really, really well with Kirk Cousins. A lot. Nobody thought Kirk Cousins would ever turn into what he turned into. So I think he's an interesting name if he shakes free. Beyond that, the other thing that Chris and I were talking about was, look, as you said, I hate to say it, but the Jets missed out on the on the first and second wave of offensive guru types at the assistant level. You know, you saw Frank Reich go somewhere else. You saw Nagy go somewhere else. You saw. Uh, McVeigh goes somewhere else and on and on down the line. So now you're getting sloppy thirds, so to speak. I think the better option is to try and stay ahead of the curve and really go into the college ranks and try and find the next guy. You got to listen, if you're going to go for a safe, the safe route and one of these head coaches like McCarthy or uh, Harbaugh or whatever, okay, that's one thing. But if you're going to hire a coordinator, it's a major risk anyway. Why not go after a guy that, that you know, you could take a swing and maybe turns out to be a home run? So I'm not saying any of these guys would necessarily take the job, Joe. But go after Lincoln Riley. Dare him to tell you no. 
Go after somebody like Chris Peterson at Washington. Dare him to tell you no. Matt Campbell, dare him to tell you no. David Shaw, tell him to, you know, make him dare you, uh, you know, make him tell you no. That's really what you got to do. You got to stay out of the curve. That the next wave, I think, is going to be these these big time college coaches. And you could sit there and have the mentality of, oh, this guy will never come, and this guy will never come. Okay, fine, but you're never going to know unless you ask, right? As as the old saying goes, the prettiest girl at the dance can't dance with you unless you ask. So that's what I would do, Joe, and that's what I think makes the most sense. I don't know that the Jets will do that, but I think barring getting Harbaugh or McCarthy, who I really wouldn't want anyway, that's what I would do. Go into the college ranks and get yourself somebody that's a, that's a hot offensive mind there, one of those guys. Connor Rogers, our guy, I'd stick to the Jets. Obviously, this is very much in his wheelhouse. So that's really what I think they should do. What they will do, eh, I, I expect that what you're saying is true. They'll probably go after somebody with uh, or previous NFL head coaching experience. They'll probably try to get McCarthy. I hope they don't land him. Uh, who knows what happens there. If Harbaugh shakes loose, I'm sure he'll be at the top of their list. Uh, Gruden, possibly, and I like him, actually, so if he shakes loose. Tomlin certainly would be the top of the list if he shakes loose. I can't imagine it would be Mike Shanahan, but... I don't know. That's really my what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to go after an established coach, and if they don't get one of those guys, maybe they go after an assistant. But I really think that the college level is where they should be looking. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Looking ahead at this upcoming week as the Jets move towards wrapping up the season, Aaron Rodgers is going to play this week. Good news for the tank. Hopefully the Jets lose a competitive game. (laughs) No Brandon Shell. Quincy Anua unlikely to play. Uh, Isaiah Crowell obviously out for the year. Uh, Jordan Jenkins sounds like he's going to be a game-time decision. I think with Shell, the concerning thing is now that it sounds like this could be an injury that lingers into next year. And the Jets have such limited talent on the offensive line, have so much work to do there. To think they have another position they need to overcome and fix it is scary enough as is. Um I, again, the Jets have enough money to go get Le'Veon Bell to be aggressive in the trade market at receiver. I wrote about sort of an overarching strategy for their offense this week. Check out that article. Uh, But offensive line is a spot they need to add two or three bodies to, and they should be able to between free agency and the draft. But it's not a great market. You know, you want to go pay big money for Paradis. He's coming off a major injury. Quentin Spain's okay. Um, Roger Saffold, good starter, a little older. Uh, offensive line in the draft, maybe you go Jonah Williams or Greg Little in round one, depending where your pick ends up, or maybe you look to use one of your third-round picks for it. It's really not a one-off season switch, fix. And then if you don't have Brandon Shell, you have that much more work to do, which is why I think guys like Calvin Beecham and Spencer Long are going to be back. Long as a guard, I think, not a center. And Beecham as more of a hold-the-fort player, just because... How many starters can you realistically turn over in one off season? I think maybe two is the max, and then hopefully you add out more depth. I hope the Jets try to spend in free agency or maybe get creative in the trade market, but good offensive linemen are not for sale in the NFL, and they don't generally hit free agency. So 
everyone keeps tweeting back at me, oh, we got to spend on the OL. Oh, we got to spend on the OL. Where Where is all this money going? Who are these Who are these players getting this money that are on the free agent market on the offensive line? Yeah, Joe, you hit the nail on the head. The best offensive linemen don't ever make it to free agency. And in this class specifically, there really is very slim pickings. Like you said, Saffold's already 31. I think Paradise is 31. And he's coming off a major injury. So, yeah, you could get those guys and they're one or two year fixes. And I guess that's not the worst thing in the world because you don't really have a lot of great options anyway. But realistically, I think what you're going to probably have to do is try and get whoever you can get in the free agent market. You're not going to get a long-term solution and probably use your two third-round picks on the two best offensive linemen you can find. I think there, there are other wrinkles that could happen here. You mentioned the trade market. Trading for a receiver or an offensive lineman, I don't know, but what you might be able to do, and we've talked about this show, is move Leonard Williams. If you can get a second rounder, which Connor Rogers seems to think they could, or even a third, that gives you some extra ammo for the draft. And then, of course, there's the Bortles thing. I don't know how realistic it is, but let's say that happens. I think that's a much better use of the cap space than going out and signing mediocre free agents. Well, then you add another pick. So I think that would be the ideal route is to, or let's put it this way. It's ideal given the Jets situation, because given that there's a shortage of offensive linemen that are any good that are available, and given the fact that the Jets have such a dire need at multiple positions on the offensive line, they don't really have a choice. And that leads into the whole Le'Veon Bell thing, which is a whole separate discussion as far as what the Jets should do given their circumstances. But yeah, with Shell there are rumblings that he could miss part of next season. And not that Shell is anything special, by the way, but for this line, they don't really have a lot of options. So if Shell is out, that's a big problem. Yeah, and I just think free agency generally never lives up to the expectations because the best players don't hit the market. Everyone has a lot of cap space uh, as the salary cap keeps rising. And it's just competitive out there for for those players and uh, you can't just keep rolling over cap space year after year after year. And that's why it's okay with $110 million in cap space. If you move on from a few different people to pay Le'Veon Bell, because it's not going to hamstring you and you have the flexibility of paying him during, during Sam Donald's contract, but the offensive line, they're going to have to make some hits in the draft. They're going to have to find like a third rounder who could come in and contribute. They're going to have to look really hard at potentially trading back if they end up picking third, fourth, or fifth, and maybe getting an extra second round pick or a late first round pick and using that to address the offensive line if they don't use their first pick on the offensive line. Everything has to be about building around Sam Darnold and making life as easy as possible on him. That is the entire focus of this offseason. Everything else is details. Make life easy for him because if he develops develops right, the next 15 years are completely different for this organization. So give him every built-in advantage. Give him the 26-year-old running back who has Hall of Fame numbers. Try to trade for the top five receiver who's coming off an injury. Throw money on adding two or three new offensive linemen. Add a second tight end who's a real second tight end so you have some depth behind Chris Herndon. Make life easy for him and get him a play caller who lives in the 21st century, not like Jeremy Bates, who runs on first and second down every single series, no matter what is going on. All right, Scott, final prediction for Jets, Packers, and any final thoughts for the audience? So first of all, as far as this game goes, I have to tell you, if you're going to be around this Sunday and you live in the New York, New Jersey area and you have the opportunity to go to the Jets-Packers game, I recommend doing it. 
I know that it sounds silly because who really cares? It's the last game of the year. The Jets are out of it, so on and so forth. But I mentioned this on social media earlier today, and it's something to really keep in mind, especially now that we know that Rodgers is going to play. Two things that you really need to think about. The first thing is that barring a road trip, this is more than likely the last time you will ever have the opportunity to see Aaron Rodgers in person. Because remember, the Jets only play the Packers every four years. So that would mean that they would play him again when he's 43. I suppose it's possible he's still in the league, but I wouldn't bank on it. The other thing is you could potentially be witnessing the only time ever that Sam Darnold goes head-to-head with Aaron Rodgers because, again, Rodgers is 35. Could he be playing at 39? There's a, a solid chance, but let's remember he's got a Super Bowl ring, more money than you could ever spend, and he's got a whole bunch of injuries. So there's no guarantee that he's still playing in four years the next time the Jets play. So keep that in mind if you have the opportunity to go to the game and you've been wavering because I've been thinking about it, but once they announce Rodgers is playing, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go now. I think that, look, this could go either way. The Packers have been really bad this year, and obviously Aaron Rodgers is hurt. So if the Jets can get to him in any way, if, if Bull sends blitzes and they get to Rodgers and they knock him out of the game, they could certainly win. And even if Rodgers is in the game, they could possibly win the game because the Packers are bad. But ultimately, I think that the difference is going to come down to toward the end, and i, I got to err on the side of Aaron Rodgers here. So I think the Packers will probably win a reasonably close game. I'm going to say it ends up being something like uh, 24-21 Packers. I think that's a reasonable prediction. I, I think, yeah, I like Green Bay to win a close one. I think Rodgers will do his thing. Devontae Adams is going to be hard to slow down. I think Darnold will continue to play well against a defense that's not all that good. And I think we could see a real similar script to what we saw in the Houston game, which would be terrific because the Jets would have a very good chance of picking in the top three if that happens. So looking forward to seeing that. Hoping Darnold would stay upright with a patchwork offensive line out there. We're going to wrap it up here. Appreciate everybody subscribing. Make sure to give us a rating. Make sure to give us a review. Hit it on iTunes. It's Turn on the Jets. It's also available on Spotify and Google Play. Make sure you listen back in Saturday morning. I'm going to do another mailbag show, and then next week I'll be back with our final show of the regular season and some announcements about where our podcast is headed, heading into the new year. Scott, thank you for joining us. Make sure to give Scott a follow on Twitter at Play Like a Jet one Happy holidays.